Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyi with you on this Tuesday, January the 2nd, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, dozens of people are dead following strong earthquakes in Japan. Israel has announced it'll draw down forces in Gaza. New measures to facilitate travel between Taiwan and Fujian province on the Chinese mainland have taken effect. In business, China's factory activity rose at a quicker pace in December. In sports, Liverpool has beat Newcastle to open up a lead in the English Premier League. In culture and entertainment, an exhibition of artworks by a celebrated writer in Shanghai. Now, today's top stories. Dozens of people are dead following a magnitude 7.6 earthquake in Japan. Tsunami warnings were in place but were later lifted. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida says an aerial inspection has revealed damage including blocked roads and fire destruction. We have been making all efforts to gather information since yesterday evening. But the blockage of roads means it is extremely difficult to access the northern part of the Noto Peninsula. We have information that a thousand self-defense force personnel have arrived in the region. In addition to the area's own police, fire service, self-defense force and coast guard units, we have received reports from other regional police forces that 634 disaster relief personnel and 2,039 fire service personnel have arrived in the area. The government has sent self-defense force troops to aid recovery efforts. There have been more than 150 tremors and aftershocks. We bring Patrick Falk from Tokyo for more details. It's been described as a battle against time now to save lives, really. There is difficulty in trying to reach some of them because of the considerable damage to roads that we've seen in particular. Meanwhile, the meteorological agency has lifted all tsunami warnings, but it says that there could still be tidal changes. The main thing that they're really keeping on alert for, though, is the potential for further shocks. And Japan's meteorological agency has said that there could be major earthquakes still to come, possibly as big as the quake that we saw, particularly over the course of the next two to three days. So this is a nervous and concerning situation here for people in Japan still. There's also this concern as well uh, about the impact it might have on nuclear plants. There have been no irregularities reported so far at the nuclear plants uh, along the coast of the Sea of Japan, I should say, and uh, the main reactor closest to the epicenter of the quake was actually shut at the time that it took place. Uh, but, you know, this is having a psychological impact on people in Japan and bringing back memories of the 2011 Fukushima disaster. No doubt this is going to prompt further discussion about the safety of nuclear power in Japan. That was Patrick Falk on the earthquake in Japan. A U.S. national who lives in Tokyo says a series of strong earthquakes that struck Japan's western coast has disrupted an activity for New Year's Day in, the sh- in a shrine in Toyama City. 70-year-old TV producer Daniel Smith was visiting Gogaku Shuan when the earthquakes happened. He says around a thousand visitors were at the shrine to pray for good luck as a Japanese tradition on New Year's Day. And at first, people just were stunned, and at the, and and they kept trying to go to the shrine. They, you know, everybody was standing in line, pretty much. This is Japan. But what happened is that 
that all of a sudden it had another shake and then people just started, you know, they were they were asking around what to do. And then finally one of the priests came out and said, run, you know, and basically everybody just started running. The strong earthquakes hit at a shallow depth on the Noto Peninsula in Ishikawa Prefecture on Monday, with the strongest measuring at magnitude 7.6. The Japan Meteorological Agency has named it the 2024 Noto Peninsula earthquake. Japan accounts for about 20% of the world's earthquakes of magnitude 6 or greater. It experiences up to 2,000 quakes that can be felt by people each year. Apart from the 2011 earthquake in Fukushima that killed nearly 20,000 people and resulted in one of the world's worst nuclear disasters, there were also strong tremors that have resulted in heavy casualties and losses. We now take a look at some of the other major quakes within the past three decades. On January 16, 1995, a magnitude 7.3 earthquake jolted central Japan, devastating the western port city of Kobe. The worst earthquake to hit the country in 50 years killed more than 6,400 people and caused an estimated 100 billion U.S. dollars in damage. More than 220 people died in the earthquake measuring 7.3 in magnitude that hit Kumamoto on the southern island of Japan on April 16, 2016. A 6.7 magnitude earthquake paralyzed the northern island of Hokkaido on September 6, 2018, resulting in seven deaths and knocking out power to its 5.3 million residents. Two earthquakes hit Fukushima more than 10 years after the devastating tsunami, reviving memories of the horror in 2011. We spoke to geophysics expert Greg Barroza about the scale of this earthquake. He compared it with a 2011 tremor that triggered the Fukushima nuclear disaster, which is still having a lingering impact today. This earthquake occurred off the coast, off the west coast of Japan. So. Unlike the 2011 earthquake, it was not on the plate boundary, but it was in the crust above the plate boundary. So this earthquake, a magnitude 7.5, is much, much smaller than a magnitude 9.1 because the magnitude scale is logarithmic. So the, the, the scale of strong shaking, the amount of deformation was large in this earthquake, but much lower than in 2011. So all of those factors conspire to make the, the impact uh, less, as, as bad as it is, to be less and to be more localized. Japan is one of the most seismically active countries in the world. A report from the Asia Oceania Geosciences Society says 10% of all earthquakes occur in or near Japan. Professor Barroza says it's prompted Japan to develop sophisticated monitoring and warning systems. Japan is very active, and unlike many other active areas, they have just fantastic earthquake monitoring instrumentation. So their monitoring networks are, you know, arguably the best in the world. So we can get deep information about earthquake processes in Japan and sort of export that uh, understanding to other parts of the world that are less well monitored. That was Professor Greg Barroza on how Japan deals with strong earthquakes. A Japan Airlines airplane has burst into flames on the runaway at Tokyo's Hanada Airport. Local media say the Airbus A350 collided with an aircraft from the Japan Coast Guard during landing. The nearly 400 passengers on board have all reportedly evacuated to safety. South Korea's main opposition leader has received treatment in Seoul after being attacked in, in Busan earlier in the day. 
Local media say Li Jianmian was stabbed in the neck while taking questions from reporters in Busan on Tuesday morning. Police arrested the attacker at the scene. Busan police have set up a team for further investigation. Jack Barton reports from Seoul. We're told he underwent some surgery down there at the Busan National University Hospital for a one-centimeter gash on his neck. According to his party, the Democratic Party, the jugular vein uh, inside uh, his neck was nicked by that blade. And of course, that is extremely dangerous. So while we're hearing that his condition is not life-threatening at the moment, the Democratic Party is saying that uh, the injury that he has could still lead to massive internal bleeding. So there is concern. Uh, we've just had a lot of movement around here. Lots of police have just turned up, formed a cordon, and some ambulance have turned up here at the emergency centre uh, where E.J. Myung is being treated. Uh, but at the moment, it appears that it's not life-threatening, even though that wound uh, does, according to the Democratic Party, seem very serious. They have, of course, called for an immediate investigation into how this could have happened. They say it's an attack on democracy. It never should have been allowed to happen in the first place. And the police have responded saying they will launch an immediate investigation into how this could have occurred and that they will boost security for all politicians to try and ensure this doesn't happen again. And the president, Yoon Song-yeol, of, uh, of course, ordering all efforts be made uh, to try and help E. J. Myung. That was Jack Barton reporting. 59-year-old Lee served as a member of the National Assembly. He was the Democratic Party's nominee for last year's presidential election in South Korea. He went on a hunger strike of more than 20 days last year to protest policies from the government of President Yong Suk-yeol. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Israel has announced it'll draw down forces in Gaza. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. It's 10 minutes past the hour. Israel has announced plans to shift tactics and cut back on troop numbers in Gaza. An official says the military will draw down forces inside Gaza this month and shift to a phase of more localized mopping-up operations that will last for months. Residents in Gaza say they have noticed that Israel has pulled some of its tanks out of some districts. Israeli Defense Minister Yuav Gallant says some communities in northern Gaza will soon be able to return home. A U.S. official says Israel's decision appears to be a signal of the start of a shift to lower-intensity operations in the region. Associated Press correspondent Isabel Debris reports. The Israeli military said that it was withdrawing several thousand troops from the Gaza Strip. That's up to five brigades in the first major publicly announced drawdown since the beginning of the war. We know that this comes as President Biden, as well as other world powers, have been pressuring Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to move into a new phase of the war that involves more targeted strikes against high-value Hamas targets. This decision to withdraw these troops comes just a couple days before Secretary of State Antony Blinken is expected 
expected in the region to discuss this very issue of where the war is headed, even though this could mean a new phase of the war, maybe a scaled down phase. It in no way signals the end of the war. That was very clear today as Israeli strikes continued to rain down on the Gaza Strip with at least 156 Palestinians killed specifically in that central area. And as the clock struck midnight into 2044, Hamas actually fired a massive barrage of rockets towards central and southern Israel, setting off air raid sirens, though not causing damage. But people in Tel Aviv, as fireworks were going off, also saw interceptions of Hamas rockets. And of course, this shows that nearly 90 days into this war that was so devastating, Hamas still has the ability to fire this amount of rockets, something we haven't seen in several days. That was Isabel Debris with the Associated Press. The Palestinian presidency has rejected the partition of Palestinian territories and called for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Dr. Nabil Abu-Rudaini is the spokesperson for Palestinian President Mohammed Abbas. Feng Yilei spoke with him about their plans on peace. Could you please provide an update on the latest developments of the discussions regarding a possible ceasefire? The most important thing that till now, since the beginning of the war and our official position is stopping the war. Without seizing the war, nothing will happen. There should be an end of this war immediately. Otherwise, everything will deteriorate in the whole region. The second issue, there should be a political horizon. We cannot accept any partition of any issue, whether Gaza, we will discuss Gaza, the West Bank and East Jerusalem together, not Gaza alone. Recent media reports suggest that the Palestinian Authority is not currently considering the issue of future leadership in Gaza as one of the conditions of these negotiations. Is that exclusion a deliberate decision or an oversight? We cannot accept to talk about Gaza alone. We never left Gaza, by the way, here from Ramallah. The Ministry of Finance sends $140 million per month for Gaza, for teachers, for, uh, for the hospitals, for doctors, for, for electricity, for water, for everything. Since the beginning of the war, Israel is deducting this money, and that's why we are in a very difficult economic position in Ramallah and in Gaza as well, because Gaza is part of the Palestinian land. If the war is ended, if there isn't any problem with the Americans and the Israelis, we are ready to take charge in Gaza immediately. We don't any we, do, we cannot accept anything without our approval, whether Israel or America or any other else. Israel and America should end the occupation in the West Bank and in Gaza, and they leave the Palestinian people alone to manage our problems. Then at the right time, we go to elections, as we did several times. And at that point, whoever wins will become in charge of Gaza, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem. And how do you view the potential for negotiations among different Palestinian factions, including Hamas? Again, until the war is over, we signed five agreements with Hamas. If uh, they are ready to implement these agreements, we are ready. But the problem is the war is on, the genocide is on. So with whom shall we talk? We have to end the war first. That's why we appreciate the, the position of the Security Council, including China, asking for a ceasefire. Because if this starting point will start, 
things will become a little bit better that then we can talk about everything but all these decisions are Palestinian decisions we cannot accept the agenda of the regional powers or the United States of America including Israel so we have our own independent decisions that was the spokesperson for the Palestinian presidency the Israeli Supreme Court has struck down a highly disputed law passed by the government that rolled back some of the high court's power and sparked months of protests nationwide. The law came amid a judicial overhaul proposed by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his coalition. Netanyahu's party says the Supreme Court's decision is unfortunate and opposes the will of the people for unity. The new legislation brought before the court has removed one of the tools the Supreme Court has for quashing government and ministers' decisions. It took away the court's ability to avoid such decisions that it deemed unreasonable. Twelve of 15 justices ruled that it was within the court's parameters to strike down quasi-constitutional basic laws. Eight ruled to nullify the specific basic law, which the the court says causes severe and unprecedented harm to the core characteristics of Israel as a democratic state. Egypt is one of five new members that joined BRICS at the start of the new year. The North African country hopes its partnership with major emerging economies, including China, will propel its development into a new era. Adola Mahuri reports from Cairo. Excitement fills Egypt as its membership is expected to extend a hand to its struggling economy. It enriches Egypt's economic strength through access to a bloc that is home to 40% of the world's population. This bloc will help Egypt decrease the deficit in its trade balance. It will help decrease the high demand on the US dollar. If we shift trade off for the bloc to local currencies, it will help Egypt's digital transformation to become a cashless society. The membership represents a significant shift in Egypt's foreign relations on an economic level and on the strategic political levels. Egypt's finance ministry, trade and industry ministry and the prime ministry as well as the private sector are all preparing for this move. To ensure an effective role and maximize the benefits of its membership, Egypt says it's forming a BRICS committee. The new government arm will include representatives from several cabinets as well as national financial institutions and will be the negotiations hub with the group's other members. It is very important to have a central unit to uh, follow what's going on 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 one or a couple of of files. When you have an office like that, he will be in, in, in charge of all the details and some experts will be there in order to facilitate whatever we face. Egypt already has free trade agreements with Africa and some Latin American countries. The BRICS expands its outreach, opening a potential for the North African nation to grow its manufacturing capacities and boost exports. With access to the bloc's new development bank, Egypt gains a more diverse option for financing its developmental aspirations. In 2024, BRICS will be growing faster than ever with new rising partners. With 10 countries from three continents, it's becoming the voice of the global south, bringing together countries like Egypt and Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia and Iran. BRICS is turning nations with proud histories into strong business allies. That was Adola Mahuri on new hopes for Egypt within the BRICS group. 
Coming up, new measures to facilitate travel between Taiwan and Fujian province on the Chinese mainland have taken effect. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. It's 20 minutes past the hour. New measures on facilitating travel between Taiwan and Fujian province on the Chinese mainland have taken effect. It's part of the plan for integrated cross-strait development. Chen Yiling has more. On the first day of 2024, Taiwan resident Zhang Liqi got the news that he could settle in Xiamen, a port city in Fujian province. Zhang is the first to receive a residential permit for the city under new mainland travel policies that came into effect on Monday. They include shortening the approval time from 20 to 10 working days. I'm very excited to settle in Xiamen. I have my research program here. The policy brings more opportunity for us young people to develop our career. I'm now at the Xiamen Wutong Ferry Terminal, one of the main ports for Taiwan compatriots to travel to the Chinese mainland. And the new policies have now also streamlined the application process, making it easier for them to travel or leave. My five-year travel permit to the mainland recently becomes invalid. Now I can apply for it at the port. It is very convenient for businesses. The application for five-year mainland travel permits used to be operated by the Entry-Exit Administration, but now it can be done at the port of entry. The permit will then be mailed to the applicants. It saves a lot of time and cost. Now with this five-year mainland travel permit, Taiwan compatriots who come to Fujian can also have access to public services, including electronic payments, medical services, and transportation. Meanwhile, applications for a single-entry travel permit that's valid for up to three months can also be completed online. That was Chen Yilin reporting from Xiamen. It's winter fishing season at Chagan Lake in northeast China. Fishermen are using traditional techniques for good harvest. Chen Mengfei joined them. People here insist on drilling the holes and pulling the net the ancient way. But they couldn't resist the temptation of modern vehicles. From my home to here, it would take more than an hour by carriage. It used to be so cold that we'd run with the horse. Now we no longer have to do that. (laughs) Bing Hailong is the fish battle or head fisher and has been doing this for three decades. Under his leadership, a team of fishers work together from dawn to dusk. It's easy to get distracted when you're with the people, the hustle and bustle. But once you're actually on this lake, you realize how small a person is on this vast lake. And it was a time before cell phones, before cars. And you really have more appreciation for how brave these fishermen are to come out here in the middle of a frozen lake to find fish. So the size of the net is one of the key measures to preserve the ecology in this lake. It ensures that small fish are not caught, only big ones are caught. The fish, released as fries or babies, grow naturally in nutrient-rich water, making them more valuable. But rumors circulate 
that larger fish are dumped in the waters to inflate prices. That's untrue. There's this rumor because many sellers around Chagan Lake claim their fishes from here and tarnish our reputation. You live in this area and you've never seen anyone dump grown fish into the lake? No, it's impossible. If someone wants to release any animal into the lake, they need our company's permission. No personal action is allowed. Staff members of the company host live streams to sell freshly harvested fish. As the sun sets, the fishermen have gone home, and so will I, with this fish I just bought on the spot. That's Chen Mengfei reporting from Chagan Lake in northeast China. Tuesday marks 40 years since China became an official member of the International Atomic Energy Agency. Now more than 50 nuclear power units are in operation across the country. China's first indigenous nuclear power plant is setting new records. Zheng Yibing visited Qingshan Nuclear Power in eastern China and spoke with General Manager Xiang Xiahe. China's very first nuclear power plant, Qingshan, set a record high in 2023 of nearly 97% in its Unity Capability Factor, or UCF, based on statistics provided by the World Association of Nuclear Operators, known as VANL. UCF is a key indicator VANL uses to evaluate the performance of nuclear power plants. The feat is achieved by factoring in overall performance across nine power units in the plant. The management level can be better reflected through multi-units over a long operating time. Only one unit having a high score does not represent outstanding management. All power units having a superior performance truly means it has good status. The manager says many factors in the plant have contributed to the result from overhaul, optimization and device reliability to innovation, motivation and levels of digital transformation. He adds that information across these areas is shared with Vanal. More than 400 power units around the world have joined Vanal and everyone shares information with the organization based on the principle of openness and transparency. The unit capacity factor is an important indicator of the performance of a power plant. The power plant was launched in 1991 its newest and nice power units was put into commercial use in 2015. The manager says it took about 15 years to increase the overall UCF from 80% to the current levels. And they will continue the trend while sharing information with others. Qingshan Nuclear Power's good traditions could be taken as an example, showing China's determination to use nuclear energy safely and to benefit the people. That was Zheng Yibing reporting. Thai Prime Minister Sreta Tavinson says China and Thailand will waive visa requirements for each other's citizens starting March. Thailand has previously granted visa-free entry for Chinese travelers until February 29th. The new measure is expected to further boost Thailand's tourism. The industry plays a crucial role in Thailand's economy, with 28 million foreign tourist arrivals recorded in 2023, including 3.4 million from China. The visa-free entry China granted to citizens from six countries has resulted in a significant boom in inbound tourism. Under the policy that took effect a month ago, ordinary passport holders from France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain and Malaysia can enter China visa-free for business, tourism, visiting relatives and friends and transit for up to 15 days. The Shenzhen Baoan International Airport in Guangdong has witnessed a surging number of travelers from the six countries.
There are many Malaysians who want to travel to China. Previously, we had to apply for visas locally, which took at least one to two weeks. Now it's so convenient that we can be more flexible with our travel plans. After the visa-free policy takes effect, I will probably come more often, maybe every two to three months. There are many places I want to visit and explore. Customs officials and the airport say the number of travelers from the six countries has exceeded 20,000 since December the 1st, up 20 percent on a monthly basis. Now it's 28 past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 7 on Tuesday evening. Wednesday will be sunny with a high of 5. Nanchang is 4 tonight, tomorrow sunny and 14. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad is 6 this evening, overcast and 18 on Wednesday. And Vientiane is 18 overnight, tomorrow sunny and 32. Now it's time for a short break. So far this hour, dozens of people are dead following strong earthquakes in Japan. Israel has announced it will draw down forces in Gaza. Do Hongyu with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyu with you on this Tuesday. Still to come, in business, China's factory activity rose faster in December. In sports, Liverpool has beat Newcastle to open up a lead in the English Premier League. In culture and entertainment, an exhibition of artworks by a celebrated writer in Shanghai. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Now first, today's headlines. Here's Tian Yu. Thank you, Dou Hongyu. China says it, it re- remains committed to contributing to stable, healthy and sustainable relations with the United States. The leaders of the two countries exchanged congratulatory messages on Monday to mark 45 years of dip- diplomatic ties. The foreign ministry says China has maintained consistent policies toward the U.S. that is based on mutual respect, 
peaceful, peaceful coexistence and win-win cooperation. A spokesperson says China is willing to work with the U.S. to direct ties on the right path of development in order to benefit both countries and the world. South Korea's main opposition leader is receiving treatment in Seoul after being attacked by a knife-wielding man in Busan. Police say he sustained a one-centimeter wound on his neck but is in stable condition. Busan police have set up a team for further investigation. Japan's self-defense force troops are aiding recovery efforts following a magnitude 7.6 earthquake. Dozens of people are dead in the quake that toppled buildings and sparked fires. Meteorologists have lifted all tsunami warnings. The government says there are no irregularities so far at nuclear facilities in the stricken areas. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant says communities within a limited area in the north of Gaza Strip will soon be able to go home. In accordance with the recommendations given by the IDF and the defense establishment, we will soon be able to return communities home in areas within a range of 4 to 7 kilometers north of the Gaza Strip to their homes. First phase of seven communities was already decided. They received messages. Kibbutz Dorot, where we are right now, is one of them. Israel is aiming to cut down on troops' number in Gaza and shift to a phase of more localized operations that will last for months. The conflict between Israel and Hamas that broke out in October has so far left over 80% of the 2.3 million residents in Gaza displaced. Many of them have been seeking shelter in areas designated as safe. A destroyer of the Iranian Navy has entered the Red Sea after passing through the Bab al-Mandeb Strait amid rising tensions in the region. Local media reports say the destroyer is part of the Iranian Navy's 94th flotilla of the warships. The development came as the Yemen-based Houthi group said on Sunday that 10 of its fighters were killed by U.S. Navy forces on the Red Sea. Also on Sunday, the U.S. Central Command said its naval forces responded to a distress call from the merchant boat in the Red Sea that reported being under Houthi attack sinking three Houthi boats and killing all their crews. The leader of Sudan's paramilitary rapid support forces have met is, uh, civilian politicians in Addis Ababa. Mohamed Hamdan Daglo is on his first foreign tour since the conflict in Sudan broke out in April last year. He has also been received by leaders in Uganda, Ethiopia, and Djibouti. The RSF has been accused of killing civilians, kidnapping, and looting in Watmadani, where hundreds of thousands of people fleeing from Khartoum have sought refuge. Daglo has apologized for the violations, saying the RSF leadership is rounding up what, he's, what he describes as rogue actors. Sudanese Army Chief Abdel Fattah al-Burhan has described the meeting between Daglo and other African leaders as acts of hostility. He called on countries supporting the RSF to stop interfering in the affairs of Sudan. More than 12,000 people have been killed in clashes between the rival factions. In the U.S., hundreds of migrants flown from Texas have landed in Rockford, Illinois. Over 350 migrants boarded a plane, which landed at Chicago Rockford International Airport and then boarded charter buses. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson says they still need more help to provide the migrants with services concerning their living. I've stood up 27 shelters. We are housing currently nearly 15,000 asylum seekers, providing mental care, health care, educating 4,500 students, while also creating a pathway to sustainability. But we cannot do this alone. We need more support from the federal government. 
Texas Governor Greg Abbott has championed a comp- campaign to send thousands of migrants to, to Democrat-controlled cities further north to alleviate the strain on its border cities. Thank you very much. That was Tianyu with headline news. This is Do Hongyu in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's factory activity rose at a quicker pace in December. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. It's 36 past the hour. Turning to business, the Chinese mainland markets closed lower on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index uh, shed about four-tenths of one percent. The Shenzhen component was down by 1.3 percent. There were losses for tech, consumer, real estate, healthcare, and financial stocks. Uh, In the spotlight, though, one thing I wanted to focus on was automaker BYD. It also declined, uh, but that was despite its uh, latest sales numbers that show it uh, pretty likely to overtake Tesla as the world's biggest seller of pure electric vehicles. Uh, BYD posted a 62% jump in 2023 sales with a record 526,000 pure EVs sold uh, just in the fourth quarter of the year alone. Uh, If Tesla wants to keep the crown, it's going to need a similarly strong uh, sales number for the fourth quarter, which would need to be well ahead of what analysts uh, are expecting for that company. But uh, BYD shares did follow the the general market trend and were down by a bit more than 2.5%. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped 1.5%. A private sector survey shows China's factory activity expanded at a quicker pace in December due to stronger gains in output and new orders. Taishin China General Manufacturing PMI rose to 50.8 at the end of 2023 from 50.7 in November, marking the fastest expansion in four months and surpassing analyst forecasts of 50.4. A reading above 50 indicates expansion and a figure below it reflects contraction. The survey shows factory output in December rose the fastest since May, while growth in new orders hit a 10-month high. For more on the Taishin PMI index, Michelle Vandenberg spoke with Chu Qian, research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. How is the Taishin manufacturing uh, PMI different from the official PMI? For the ones that are not familiar, how, how are they differently calculated? And what does it inc- indicate about China's manufacturing sector? Uh, the statistical bureaus, uh, the data, they collected from the the scaled industry, the big industries. Uh, so they showed the stability of the Chinese uh, economy. But Taishin, more of their samples have come from the you know small and medium sized uh, economy and also the frontier market. So the data actually from Taishin are always being seen as a precursor of the change of the Chinese economy. And the data actually showed that, that the market is back and also the uh, manufacturing uh, industry is also uh, rebounding, even though from the Statistical Bureau data, uh, the data has been, uh, been a little bit slow because of the uh, international uh, commodity surprise that are dragging uh, behind. But also Taishin's number shows that uh, the market is back online. That was Chu Qian, Associate Professor and Beijing Foreign Studies University. 
China's tourism sector has seen a sharp rebound during the New Year holiday. Official data shows domestic trips surged 150% from a year ago to 135 million. Domestic tourism revenue doubled to nearly 80 billion yuan, or around 11 billion U.S. dollars. Meanwhile, the number of inbound and outbound passenger trips reached 5.2 million during the New Year holiday, the same as that of the pre-pandemic level in 2019. Ice and snow activities were popular among tourists. First-tier cities like Beijing and Shanghai, along with snow-covered Harbin in northeast China, as well as the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, are among top des- destinations for New Year's travel. China has begun its fifth national economic census. Authorities say they will go to businesses and communities to collect economic data in the next four months. Such census takes place every five years. The census this year will look into the development status, layout, and efficiency of China's secondary and tertiary industries. It aims to keep track of the progress of China's key economic tasks and, for the first time, coordinate efforts to conduct an input-output survey. Passengers say they are amazed by China's first domestically built large cruise ship, which set sail on its first commercial voyage on Monday. Over 3,000 passengers boarded Adora Magic City in Shanghai. Feng Yanxin says she is excited to be among the first group of passengers. It's just amazing to see this homegrown cruise ship with our own eyes. It's beyond description. Our country has the ability to build a large cruise ship, which makes all Chinese proud. The ship's hotel director Nicolas Sifot Sifonois says its services are tailored to the specific needs of Chinese consumers. So everything we create here and we design is based on the Chinese market preference, on the their needs, and we have customization and exclusivity in our product. Adoramantic City has 16 floors and a total of 40,000 square meters of public living and recreational space. After eight years of scientific research and five years of design and construction, the ship was delivered in November. A federal court has reversed a lower court ruling in the U.S. state of Montana to ban the social media app TikTok. Subscribers can continue using the app in the state for now. Hendrik Sibrandi、uh, has more. Montana is a mostly rural, very scenic, and lightly populated state in the northern U.S. Many of its residents prefer to keep it that way. So Montanans here, we don't like. People coming to our state, like our state motto is、uh, "Get Lost." Christian Pool promotes the state in his own way on TikTok. I'm the official, unofficial ambassador for the state of Montana. When I make my videos, I like to exaggerate it and make it seem like the state is significantly worse than like you can even fathom. With more than 400,000 followers, Pool has benefited from TikTok's popularity, but not everyone in Montana is on board with a social media app. Last April, state lawmakers banned TikTok, arguing that because it's owned by a Chinese company, ByteDance, Montana's personal data is at security risk. This, despite TikTok's repeated assurances that it does not share user data. It sounds like there's some very serious risks with using it. 
and the information that's being collected from it. And so after hearing about it and then doing some research and learning a little bit more, I, I, I think I agree with it. I think that a lot of the information that they do have access to is inconsequential. Josh Allspa, known as the bearded bard on TikTok, called the law unnecessary and totally unenforceable. You know it's real expensive? You don't have government secrets. You're Joe Schmo from Smithville, Montana. All I could think was, what are you going to do? Go to each person's phone and go through it and go, oh, you've got TikTok. Nah, uh, uh. In November, a federal judge blocked the statewide ban, ruling that Congress, not the states, has the power to regulate commerce with foreign countries and that the law violated people's free speech rights. If we're starting to encroach on you know, our privacy laws as Montanans and just like our freedom of speech laws as Americans, which we all pride ourselves on, then we're going to have issues. I'm a huge proponent of free speech. Even if you don't agree with somebody, you should still like hear what they have to say. Um, especially in America. Like, that's kind of what we were founded on. Hi, guys. My name is Hampton. Both content creators and social media influencers have made money at times on the app, but they say their objections to the law are based far more on principle. A lot of U.S.-owned media sites, more importantly, Facebook being the biggest one, has been proven to capture our data when, United, or like, you know, when people turn their backs, right? Other states are also challenging TikTok, and a final ruling on Montana is expected later in 2024. But banning the app is seen as a steep uphill climb. That was Hendrik Zibrandi reporting. Container throughput at Beibu Gulf Port in the southern Chinese region of Guangxi reached a record high this year. The port handled over 8 million 20-foot equivalent units of containers last year, up 1 million from a year ago. The port has recorded double-digit growth in container throughput for seven consecutive years. It now has 76 shipping routes, including 48 overseas ones. The Chinese city of Guangzhou has started a self-driving bus service on the city's international biological island. Commuters can hop on the self-driving bus and tap a bus card or scan a QR code to pay. I came to the Shimo Park for a walk. Then I saw there was a driverless bus, and I hopped on. It's my first time taking this kind of bus. The seats here are large and comfortable. Such buses have further facilitated our daily life. I take my child here to experience the difference between a regular bus and a self-driving bus, to help him gradually accept new things. The combination of information technology, digitalization, and traditional industries allows residents to enjoy better services, and is also a direction for future development. The driverless buses can hit a speed of 40 kilometers per hour. Guangzhou's bus system op- operator says 50 autonomous buses are on the roads. Bitcoin stormed above 45,000 US dollars on Tuesday for the first time since April 2022. The cryptocurrency gained over 150% last year in its strongest yearly performance since 2020. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has rejected multiple applications to launch spot Bitcoin's ETFs in recent years, arguing that the cryptocurrency market is vulnerable to manipulation. However, analysts say the market is optimistic that regulators are prepared to sign off on some of the 13 proposed spot Bitcoin ETFs, with expectations that the decision will likely come in early January. Now you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Liverpool has beat Newcastle to open up a lead in the English Premier League. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. 
the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Hong Yu. Liverpool has opened up a three-point lead in the English Premier League after beating Newcastle 4-2 at home. Mohamed Salah scored the Reds' first and the last goals and was also involved in the other two for his team in a chaotic game in wet and wild conditions. All of the goals came in the second half. Liverpool coach Jurgen Klopp says the team was the better side in the eventful game. Super game. From start to finish with 10 minutes in the first half, I would say, after 35 minutes, didn't disallowed goal, missed a pen, super high intensity, level dropped slightly, got out of the into second half and started pretty much there where we finished after 35 minutes, scored the first, relief too big, one all, got a second, scored the third, relief too big, 3-2. Cody Strauss and Cody Gakpo scored the other goals for Liverpool as Newcastle conceded 34 shots. The Premier League passes for the FA Cup and then a winter break lasting much of the rest of January. Manchester United midfielder Donny van Beek has joined the Bundesliga club Eintracht Frankfurt on loan until the end of the season. The 26-year-old Dutch international has made just the six Premier League starts for United since moving from Ajax in a reported £35 million transfer in 2020. His only EPL appearance this season came as a last-minute substitute in the 1-0 home defeat to Crystal Palace in September. United boss Eric Ten Hag recently said countryman Van Beek needed a move to revive his career. Van Beek spent five months at Everton in 2022 but was restricted to seven outings during that loan spell. The countdown is underway for the 2024 Summer Olympics in Paris. Thousands of athletes, media staff and the visitors will arrive in the French capital, but there are still major logistics challenges and security concerns. Ross Cullen spoke to officials on those issues. The world's biggest multidiscipline sporting event is back, and back in France. The Paris Olympics and Paralympics will start on the 24th of July and run till the 8th of September. More than 90% of the venues are already in place, and only a handful of arenas, like the new Aquatic Centre for Water Polo, Artistic Swimming and Diving, are being newly built for the Games. New sports will be featured this time around, with breakdancing making its Olympic debut, and disciplines like skateboarding and sport climbing that featured for the first time at the previous Summer Games in Tokyo will be back. But not every event can take place in Paris. The surfing will be held on the French Pacific island of Tahiti, where there has been controversy over damage to a coral reef during tests to install the judge's tower. One of the centerpiece elements of Paris 2024 will be the unique opening ceremony, which will be held on the River Seine in the French capital. It's set to be the first Olympics opening event not to be held in a stadium, but having it on a river in the middle of a city presents many different challenges. There are expected to be half a million spectators on the banks of the river and hundreds of athletes taking part in the parade on dozens of boats travelling down the Seine. Securing the central riverside area has the potential to be a major headache for the authorities and Parisians. 
Ce plan B a été travaillé. If there were a plan B, it would obviously be because we absolutely have to. We'll have to look beyond the imminent threat. And of course, this plan B will inevitably be on a smaller scale than the ceremony initially planned. Paris will be hosting the Summer Olympics for the third time. And the 2024 edition will be held exactly 100 years after the 1924 Games. French sports fans will likely not have to wait another century before the next Olympics in the country because France is the sole remaining bidder for the Winter Olympics in 2030. That was Ross Cullen in Paris. Now turning to the NBA. The Indiana Pacers displayed great depth in their 122-113 victory over Milwaukee that stopped the Bucks a 15-game home winning streak. The Pacers outscored the Bucks by 54 in bench points. Tyrese Halliburton had 26 points, 11 assists, and 9 rebounds to help Indiana overcome Giannis and Tocompo's triple-double. The Pacers are 3-1 against the Bucks this season, but Halliburton stayed humble about the rivalry. I don't know if it's a rivalry because, to be honest with you, that's a team that's competed for a championship for multiple years, and we're on the up and up. But I mean, we haven't we haven't been there yet. So, uh, out of respect for them as a group, I don't I don't think I can really call it a rivalry yet. But um, you know, we, we're going to compete no matter who it's against, and uh, we play these guys a lot during the year, so uh, we're ready when we see them. In other game highlights, the new-look Toronto Raptors recovered from squandering a 19-point lead and held on to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers 124-121. RJ Barrett had 19 points and Emmanuel quickly added 14 in the two players' first start for the Raptors. Barrett and quickly arrived in Toronto from the Knicks on Saturday in a trade that sent OG Ananobi to New York. Kyrie Irving returned to action after missing 12 games with the bruised heel but wasn't much of an impact against the Jazz. He finished with 14 points as the Dallas Mavericks lost big time 124-90 in Utah. And finally, two-time Wimbledon champion Petra Kvitova has announced she's pregnant and will miss this month's Australian Open. Kvitova is expecting her first child with husband and longtime coach Jerry Vanik. The 33-year-old is not playing in the ongoing tune-up tournaments in Australia either. Kvitova lost the 2019 Australian Open final to Naomi Osaka, who made her comeback to the tour earlier on Monday following 15 months out, during which time she had her first child. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, an exhibition of artworks by a celebrated writer in Shanghai. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment. The Bandwan Art Museum in Shanghai is presenting the largest ever art exhibition of works by celebrated local writer Jing Yuchang. Jing is a winner of China's Top Literature Award for his novel Blossoms. While Jin is best known as an author, it hasn't stopped him from picking up a brush to delve into painting. The exhibition showcases over 200 of his paintings and sketches, some of which are closely linked to his books. Tang Xiaofan takes a look. Nearly 40 of Jin's illustrations he created for his novel Blossoms, or Fanhua in Chinese, are on display. His novel covers the societal changes in Shanghai between the 1960s and 1990s. In 2015, it won the Maldon Literature Prize, one of the country's top literary athletes. 
His sketches show the hustle and bustle of city life. In fact, the text and pictures are interconnected. For example, when I was describing a building in my novel, I found it was better to show it in a sketch than a bunch of words. This is why I drew illustrations for my novels to supplement the text. The experience of illustrating his own work encouraged him to dive deeper into the world of art. Over the past decade, he has completed nearly 500 paintings, many of which focus on life in Shanghai. He adopts a surrealistic approach to depict city landmarks like Jing'an Temple and Wukang Building, and show the relationship between the city and its residents. Jean has made some adaptations to paint the scenes people are familiar with. What makes his painting unique is its narrativity. As a novelist, he has an advantage over others in storytelling through paintings. Similar to his novel, Jin's paintings are quite complex with a variety of elements. It was a good opportunity to launch this exhibition with Jin. His paintings of old Shanghai not only resonate with people born in the 1950s and 60s, but also inspire young people. Visitors can learn more about Jin's life and literature through his paintings. The exhibition runs until January the 28th. That was Tang Xiaofan in Shanghai. Hong Kong actor Nick Chen Kafai's latest crime thriller Wolf Hiding is making waves in China. Since its theatrical release last month, the movie has grossed more than 210 million yuan, or nearly 30 million U.S. dollars, to become one of the most popular action blockbusters in December. Set in an unnamed country, the film opens on the eve of a leadership change within a powerful criminal group. It plunges a major city into darkness with a spate of crimes. However, a mysterious killer emerges and kidnaps the chosen successor, leading to chaos and criminal infighting. The movie marks the directorial debut feature of Ma Yuke, known for his role in TV series Demigods and Semi-Devils. Jeremy Renner has taken a major step to resume his acting career after the terrible accident that nearly took his life one year ago. The American actor has headed back to the set of Mayor of Kingstown to film the third season. Renner was run over by a snowplow on New Year's Day 2023 after saving his nephew from being hit by the vehicle. The Marvel star sustained blunt chest trauma and orthopedic injuries. The Hawkeye actor has been active in keeping his fans updated on his recovery. He walked the red carpet with a cane at the world premiere of his Disney Plus series Renovations last April. Now it's about 58 minutes past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 7 on Tuesday evening. Wednesday will be sunny with a high of 5. Nanchang is 4 tonight, tomorrow sunny and 14. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad is 6 this evening, overcast and 18 on Wednesday. Vientiane is 18 overnight, tomorrow sunny and 32. Penopen is 25 overnight, cloudy and 35 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see light rain with a high of 26 on Wednesday. Kampala will have light rain with a low of 20 this evening. The rain will continue tomorrow with a high of 25. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, dozens of people are dead following strong earthquakes in Japan. Israel has announced it'll draw, dozen, it'll draw down forces in Gaza. New measures to facilitate travel between Taiwan and Fujian province on the Chinese mainland have taken effect. 
On behalf of the staff, this is Do Hongyu in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Take away Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Take away Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west. People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 